and turn to John 18. We want to sing the chorus once again. John 18, and we will be reading verse 35 and 36. Praise God. Would you like to go to heaven to be with the Lord one of these days? Praise God. I do believe that when we pass from this life, that the Bible proclaims that we will either be in the presence of the Lord or cast out of His presence. And of course, to be in the presence of the Lord, it means rest, it means riches, it means abundance, it means progress, it means productivity, but to be cast out of His presence, it means darkness, sorrow, pain, punishment, destruction and poverty. Praise God. And the choice is ours. And that's what life is all about. Life is the span or the duration in which the power to choose what you will do in eternity is given to you. Praise God. And every road is determined whether it be good or bad according to the end to which it leads. Praise God. And so while many things on this planet earth seem to be quite great and grand, if they do not lead to productivity, to happiness, to peace, and to eternal rest, then those things are not worth our time. Praise God. But I am glad to know that while... I gave up some worldly pleasures for a moment. And I experienced persecution with Christ for a season. That what I have in my heart surpasses all of the pleasures of the world. And even though I have not yet arrived at my final destination, that I can have a little heaven down here right now by sitting in heavenly places with the Lord. And then, of course, this is the hope that all of God's children are waiting for. And that's the time in which they will enter into His presence forevermore. Let's sing it again. Heaven for me. Heaven for me. Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. All the beauties and wonders I'm longing to see. But Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. Praise God. Let's lift our hands and worship the Lord before we read our scripture. God, we love you, Lord, with our whole heart. Blessed be the name of the Lord. <clears throat> Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. From the Gospel of John, the 18th chapter, I would like to read verse 35 and 36. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, 
Then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. God bless you. You may be seated. Again, we want to say we're glad that all of our guests have chosen to come and be with us. We named off a few people that have meant so very much to us over the years who are visiting with us this morning. But we want to know that if you're a guest here and your name was not called, simply because we don't know your name and you're very, very important to us, and we're glad that you came to the house of the Lord this morning to worship God with us. We trust that we'll be able to say something that will be of great value to you, something that will linger with you as time goes on. Now, a prayer request was given concerning Brother and Sister O'Neill, and I would like for you to pray. Uh, they are scheduled to leave the 9th of November, uh, December, pardon me, and they're going to Germany, and they will be doing missionary work there for approximately a year, and perhaps even longer. But there are a good number of things that need to be done before they leave. I can appreciate all these prayer requests. My mind went back to a little situation we had in Texas before we moved to Wisconsin. Sister Grant and I built a new home, and we knew we were moving here, so we did not move into the home. We put it up for sale. And I remember going to service in Longview, Texas, and I preached there on a Sunday morning. And so I just asked the church that we had a tentative date set to, to move to Wisconsin. That was in January, and this was around Christmas time. And we didn't have our house sold. And I asked the church if they would help us pray that, that we could sell that church. One sister, in fact, it was the pastor's wife, she got up and she said, I believe that the Lord has spoken to me that, that we need to pray that Brother Grant will sell his house by next Sunday night. Now, he's scheduled to be with us next Sunday night. I was speaking there following Sunday night. And let's pray that he will sell that house by next Sunday night. And so the church bound together and prayed. And, well, Saturday rolled around the next week. And Sunday, of course, I had already resigned the church that I was pastoring. So I went to my mom and dad's on Saturday night. They were living in Longview, Texas, where I was to speak. And Sunday morning, just as we were to walk out the door... To go to church, I received a phone call, and a couple was passing through this town in which we pastored in, where the house was, and they said they were planning on retiring, and they were visiting a number of cities, and they saw that I had the house for sale, and they wanted me to, to drive down and, and meet them. I told them that I was planning on going to church, and, and I, I remember the remark the lady made. She said, you mean to tell me you will not miss church to come and sell the house? And I said, no, ma'am, I, I will not. But if you'll be so kind as to wait, I'll show you the church, or the house right after church. And uh, she was a little irate about it. She said, well, this is going to put us out three or four hours. And I said, well, I just feel that I need my spiritual food for today. And we're church-going people, and we've been praying that we would sell the house. But everything is predicated upon Christian principles and such. And if you'll just be so kind as to wait. And she reluctantly said, okay. Well, we went to church, and then we drove down and met them, showed them the house. They went through the house just briefly. And she pulls out her checkbook, and she says, uh, 
she'd asked me on the phone how much we wanted. She said, uh, we want this house. Should I pay you now? Or and she's going to write out a check for the whole house right there. <laughs> and I said, well, <clears throat> I think we should set a date for closing and such and do this in a little bit more of a <laughs> formal or business way. <laughs> I mean, just like that. I mean, she had the checkbook in her hand, and uh, she's going to buy it right then. We had prayed because, see, we, they, we did not have a home missions program set up uh, in the state of Wisconsin like we have now. And we were to use that money to, to come to Wisconsin, and, and we did. We furnished, uh, I say furnished, we supplied the funds for moving here and then also the purchasing of the church building in Shano. The old building. They don't have that building now. I think it's has been sold. But, uh, I mean, she was going to write out a check right then. And would you believe that uh, I went to church Sunday night and reported to the church that, sure enough, just like this sister had said, uh, we sold the house this afternoon. Praise God. Isn't that great? God does not always answer when we feel that He should answer. But He always answers in time. And, and, you know, the Lord has many, many things in mind when He deals with His people. Uh, I'm glad that the Lord doesn't always just jump when I tell Him to jump. Because if He did, the world would certainly be in a mess. I would have the Lord just doing everything, and, and I would just get things so fouled up. But I'm glad that the Lord, in His own way, at His own time, with His own wisdom is able to deal with me, and I want to be understanding. Sometimes I, I get real excited, and, and it doesn't seem like the Lord's excited about what I'm excited about. But uh, I'm saying all this for you, Brother O'Neill. But, uh, <clears throat> but, but God, God sees, and God knows, and God has a way to work everything out. Praise God. Now this kind of fits with what I'm speaking on this morning. I'm speaking on the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He said, now if my kingdom were this world, then would my servants fight. You remember the little skirmish that Peter had with a Roman soldier that sought the Lord to take him for his scourging? You remember that? Jesus had left the Mount of Olives. And he had left the rather the Garden of Gethsemane, pardon me. And he had left that garden. And he knew very well that he had to go and face trial and be put to death. Jesus knew that. And Peter did not want that to happen. And of course, while Peter was accompanying the Lord, when they came after Jesus, Peter pulls out his sword. And uh, he began to, to cut away or cut at the, the soldier. The soldier was no doubt uh, ducking and dodging and, and uh, scrambling for his life. And Peter came around with that razor-sharp sword. I su suppose it was real sharp. It was at least sharp enough that it shaved a man's ear off. The man just barely made it. I mean, he was just a gnat's breath away from getting his head sliced open. And he went down like this, and Peter took his ear off. 
And Jesus made it very plain, not only to, to his own disciple, but he made it very plain to those who had come to take his life, that uh, he that liveth by the sword shall also perish by the sword. In fact, he told him, said, now you take him and, and put up the sword, Peter. And so he did. Now, <clears throat> the disciples at times were very, very confused about some statements that Jesus made. Jesus spent better than three years with these men, training them. And they were just normal men like everybody else. It is hard for people to understand the way of God. It is very hard. Now, <clears throat> God has given us a natural mind. With our natural mind, we are able to logically deduct certain things, reason certain things, it has been stated many, many times over and over again that while the human race is classified in the animal kingdom, that is by the world, that the human being is the only animal. And I kind of use that reluctantly because, see, I don't really think that is Bible vernacular. But the human being is the only animal that has the power to reason things out. And uh, where do we get this ability to reason things out? We were made in the image and in the likeness of God. Contrary to what we might think, God is a reasonable God. He spoke through the prophet Isaiah to us, even in our day, and he said, Now come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. And the Lord likes to reason with people. So we are able to logically deduct certain things. Whether a man's in the church or out of the church, he, he can go to school someplace and be taught the basics or the fundamentals of mathematics. He knows that 5 plus 5 is always 10. <coughs> you know, and, and you don't have to be very spiritual to figure that out. Yet on the other hand, while we do have a natural mind, the Bible says that... that uh, there is a kingdom that's present in the world that is of the world. And when they take normal, natural reasoning and they make application, they make application in a very devilish, selfish, and corrupt way. There is another kingdom that is in the world but not of the world. And that's the kingdom of God. In which the disciples of this kingdom, they take normal natural reasoning. And they give it a spiritual, unselfish application. When the Bible speaks of being carnally minded as being the way of death, it simply means that you take normal reasoning and you make corrupt applications. Now, I think that Christians ought to be reasonable individuals, contrary to what some Christians think they ought to be. I think to be a very reasonable individual, an individual that has his head on straight, that can, that, that can 
deal with individuals of all walks of life. A person who has wisdom. Uh, if any man lacketh wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth liberally. Christians should be very practical individuals. Contrary to what sometimes we think, they should be very practical individuals. And the only difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom that comes from God, because basically all wisdom is given to us in our natural mind. It's the way that we make application. And so some people make applications that are very selfish, that are very corrupt. And other people take the same knowledge and make spiritual applications. To be spiritually minded, the Bible says, is life. To be carnally minded is death. Now there are, in the world today, <clears throat> there are two kingdoms. One is of the world, and one is not of the world. It's just in the world. Now, 1 John, the second chapter, and I'd like for you to turn there with me if you would. 1 John, the second chapter, verse 15. <coughs> Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The love of the Father is not in Him. Now when the Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, the word world here comes from a Greek word, cosmos. Now the cosmos simply means the kingdom or the order in which Satan has set up his kingdom. That's basically what it's talking about. Did you know that there is a well-constructed kingdom that is partly physical and partly spiritual. You can see all of the ambassadors of Satan, but you cannot see the king of the ambassadors. Satan is called the god or the king of this world. Now, those that you can see are natural, normal, physical human beings who live on the planet Earth, who apply carnal application to practical, practical, and feasible knowledge. We, we, uh, <clears throat> We have known for a long time that, that you can take nuclear power and use it for peaceful means. Now, a lot of people are afraid of that, and I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong. I'm just trying to prove another point. I know this, that if you do not handle it very carefully, and if, if it isn't precisely done, it could be a threat to the entire human race. But it is true that... that uh, with a small amount 
of uh, radioactive materials that thousands and thousands of, of, uh, of uh, homes can be lit and turkeys can be cooked on Thanksgiving and Christmas tree lights can be brightened and life can be enhanced but that same amount can be placed in a bomb and dropped someplace on a city that would utterly destroy the individuals. And you see, God has given us all a mind. It, 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 it is a known fact that if you go to, to uh, school someplace, let's say to college and you're a Christian, it is, it is a known fact that regardless of how much you pray, and while God does grant wisdom, when it comes to practical knowledge, you wouldn't be able to go in there and say, Oh, now, this man's a Christian, that man's a Christian, that one's a Christian, that one's a Christian, because he makes better grades than this one, this one, this one. I'm sure that all of the students that we have here in college, and those who have been in college, have competed with individuals who were not at all associated with God. And in many times, those not associated with God would score as high or higher grades than those who were associated with God. <laughs> now, I don't know this, but I'm just going to make this assumption. Brother Felix did not graduate number one in his class. Did he? <clears throat> now you know the reason why I made that assumption I remember when he graduated and I didn't hear anything about it and if he'd have graduated number one I would have heard <clears throat> then, then, then what uh, when, when the Bible speaks in, uh, of the wisdom of God and such you see, it, it's, not the, it's not the natural reasoning and such that, that makes the difference. It's the application of that. It's the way you apply that and what you use it for. You see, what's important to God is not what you're given, but what you do with what you're given. And so, God has given to every man. Uh, he has, has given to him a measure of faith. And, and he's given to, to mankind a mind. But here in this world, see, there are two basic and yet different philosophies in operation. When John says, love not the world, now, <clears throat> he's talking about the cosmos, that's the kingdom of Satan. Nor the things that are in that kingdom, the things that come out of that kingdom. We're not to love the things that come out of that kingdom. If any man love that kingdom, the love of God is not in him. Now, <clears throat> it's just that plain. There is no, no doubt about it. Absolutely no doubt about it. 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, verse 4, the Bible tells us that Satan is the king or the prince of the world. Revelation, the 12th chapter, verse 7 through 12, 
There is a story given concerning the ejection of Satan from the kingdom of God. And he was cast out into the earth. And when he was cast out into the earth, evidently about the time in which God created Adam and Eve. For Jesus said, since the beginning iniquity was found in thee. And the beginning is making reference to the starting of time on our planet earth. Now when time started here, in the first chapter of the book of Genesis, Satan had already been ejected. He was already found in the way of iniquity. He, being the angel of light, according to Revelation 14... Now the reason why I say the angel of light, because Satan was called in there the morning star. And the Hebrew for morning here is making reference to light. Like Genesis 1, 1 in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he goes on to say, in the evening and the morning were the first day. Each creative day had a period of light and a period of darkness. The light is spoken of as morning. The evening is spoken of as darkness. So each creative day had a duration of darkness and a duration of light. And Satan was called the morning star. He was the angel of light. There are three archangels that are proclaimed in the Bible. Michael. Michael was responsible of warring against Satan and casting him out. The Bible says, Michael and his angels warred against Lucifer, or Satan, and his angels. The book of Revelation tells us that Satan took with him a third of all the angels. Now, it might interest you to know that when Lucifer was cast out by Michael and his angels that God just turned the job over to him. And evidently, according to the Scripture, God did not even need to come to Michael's assistance. Now that simply means then that all of us who are constantly running from the devil have no legal excuse for our action. If Michael and the angels can do it without God, what can you do with the power of the Holy Ghost inside of you? For greater is He that's in you than he that is in the world. And besides that, God just puts a little bonus in the Scripture by telling us that the angels encamp around and about those who love Him. So if I've got an angel encamped around about me that's powerful, more powerful than the devil himself, and I've got God inside of me that created everything that was big enough to expend power to the angels who cast out Satan, my, what an abundance of strength 
that you and I have. Praise God. Praise God. Man was created in the likeness and the image of the Lord. Satan came by though. And Satan disguised himself, told a lie to Adam and Eve. He is a master at lying. Now keep in mind that, that that is his specialty. And the reason why that he is so good at lying is because he was the angel of light. Or light in the Bible means revelation or understanding. Now that simply means that the devil's mighty, mighty smart. But the problem is not in his wisdom, or not in his knowledge, rather. It's in the wisdom. Now, we'll just stop there for a moment, and, and we'll back up. In 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, spiritual gifts are outlined. Now you don't have to turn there, just listen to me, okay? Spiritual gifts are outlined. In 1 Corinthians 14, regulations are placed upon spiritual gifts. Now, spiritual gifts, according to the Scripture, means spiritual abilities or talents. God gives individuals ability or talents. 1 Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul outlines how those are to be used. Now, it's very evident that they were abusing spiritual gifts. That's the reason why we have that. You will find, however, that several of the spiritual gifts work in harmony with other spiritual gifts. For an example, when the gift of tongues is used, it should be followed by the gift of interpretation. Tongues would be useless that is, as far as the spiritual gift of tongues is concerned, without the gift of interpretation. That's the reason why Paul says, Now, after you've spoken in tongues, by two at the most, by three, and then there is no interpretation, he said, Then let there be silence. So, tongues and interpretation is equal to prophecy. But when you have one, you need the other. This is also true when you have knowledge. Knowledge is the ability to store, the ability to store concepts and ideas. But wisdom is the ability to use that which has been stored. And the problem with the kingdom of Satan is this. That while Satan has been given knowledge that rightly came from God and power that came from God, he fails to use something else that God wanted him to use to start with, and that is wisdom in harmony with that which was given to him. So consequently, the whole plan of God was spoiled as far as the will of God for mankind. And so there is 
right now in every individual who walks upon the face of the earth a certain amount of knowledge. What gives the kingdom of heaven the edge in every case is that God grants to us wisdom to use the knowledge. But knowledge alone would be like the gift of tongues without an interpretation. And if there isn't a limitation placed upon it, what happens? Paul says, then it does nothing but bring confusion to people. And Satan is a real master at lying because he was the angel of revelation or the angel of light. Now, when we're dealing with the kingdom of Satan, or the kingdom of heaven, in order for us to appreciate the beauty of the kingdom of heaven, we must consider the alternative. And that's the reason why we talk about the kingdom of Satan. You know, you would never appreciate a beautiful wife if you hadn't seen an ugly one someplace. And you would never appreciate a mansion if you had never seen a, sh a shack. And you wouldn't appreciate the sun if you've never seen the long, long, long autumn days of heavy overcast and chilling rains. And you see, that's exactly what God describes in the book is the contrast between the two kingdoms. It is pointed out over and over again. Moses pointed it out prior to his death. He said, I have set before you life and death. And he pointed out the conditions of death and the conditions of life. And he says, now I want you to choose death or life. That's what he said. When Jesus was here, he pointed it out. The apostles constantly pointed out over and over and over and over again, they pointed out. Now, Ephesians, the second chapter, the second verse. <clears throat> let's read verse 1. I probably should back up and read some other verses, but let's read verse 1. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, that's talking about Satan, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now notice this, this particular phrase, according to the course of this world. Now, the course of this world is not only talking about the broad way that Jesus spoke of in the Sermon on the Mount. You notice when Jesus spoke of the Sermon on the Mount, He said, now, beware of false prophets. And then He goes into this. He says, now, broad is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many shall enter therein. Now, why did Jesus talk about false prophets when He spoke about the broad way? 
He's speaking of the agents of Satan on the face of the earth. That there are people that will come and lead you right through a false door or a false gate. See? They're false prophets. And, and then he goes on, however, to say, But straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life eternal, and many... Is that what he said? What did he say? He didn't say many, did he? Few. Every now and then somebody says, Oh, you folks think that you're the only people in the world who are going to be saved. I said, Well, now wait just a minute. Now, you never heard me say that. I don't believe that you're saved because that the sign out front says Calvary Gospel. I do, however, believe that you need to do certain things. And I believe when you do certain things, it will lead you to a certain fellowship. Jesus said, Light hath no fellowship with darkness. The Apostle Paul comes along. He's quoting from the Old Testament. And when he quotes from the Old Testament, 2 Corinthians 6.14, he said, We should not be unequally yoked together with non-believers. Now, non-believers mean people who are not believing what you're believing or walking according to the course that you're walking in. For this reason, then, there is a limited fellowship between Christians and non-Christians. The only people I ever hear griping about that are the non-Christians. Isn't that right? They're always saying, you folks think you're the only people in the world that are saved. Well, I never said that. I'm talking about Calvary Gospel Church. But I do believe, however, that when you come into the knowledge of the truth, that that knowledge puts you right down the middle of the straight and the narrow. And when you do that, your entire concepts relative to life, to God, and to the practical principles of mankind are changed and altered. So as a result then, what would be the common ground of a Christian and a non-Christian? If there is a common ground between a Christian and a non-Christian, there is something wrong with the Christian's walk. Listen to me. For this reason I tell our young girls, don't date people that are not in the apostolic faith. And they say, what exceptions? I said, none. Because the Bible doesn't make it. And if there is a point of compatibility between you and a non-Christian, something's wrong with your walk. Hear me? Now this is the Bible. We're, we're talking about not the gospel according to this St. John. But we're talking about that St. John. <laughs> For you who do not know it, my name is John, too. Praise God. Is that what the Bible says? And too many relationships in the world are built upon one thing, and that is the physical. For if what is in your mind is different, and it has been changed... 
And what is in your soul is different, and it has been changed. And what is in your spirit is different, and it has been changed. If there is any compatibility, it would be only in the physical. And when you start putting the physical ahead of the spiritual, you're headed for trouble. Praise God. I think I need to sit down while I talk about this. Certain things you want to just sit down and be a, be a, a father image in. Isn't that right? Listen to me very, very carefully. Satan deals not with principles when it comes to appealing things, but he deals with things that are physical. You see, the Bible says a man is drawn away, or tempted rather, when he is drawn away by his own what? Lust. Do you think that Satan went up to, to Adam and Eve in the garden and said, you know, i got a master plan here. I'd like to overthrow the Lord. Would you help me overthrow the Lord and get even with Him for casting me out of heaven? No, He didn't do that. He went up and said, See this beautiful apple? Wouldn't you like to take a bite of it? And the Bible says, When Eve saw... Is that what the Bible says? When Eve saw. And the problem with the kingdom of Satan today, and some of you represent his kingdom, listen to me, is that you think only that what you see with your eyes is valuable. The lust of the flesh... The lust of the eye and the pride of life. Isn't that what John said? Now that's what John said. And you see, the reason why that our young people sometimes have such a big problem is because, listen to me carefully, we have some young people in here, okay? You see, you must grow in knowledge and in grace. Now, when you grow, what happens? If I came in here and I said, you know, folks, I've really grown this week. <clears throat> I lost 14 pounds. You'd say, well, Grant, you didn't grow. Because growth means that you expand. Isn't that right? And when you expand, you change. Sometimes you change clothes. You know, you get bigger and bigger. Now, that's growth. Isn't that right? And because young people sometimes have limited knowledge, and because that they need parents who have expanded knowledge, they end up getting in trouble. Because you see, wisdom and knowledge are used together. And, and you can't be wise in the things that you have no knowledge of. And this is the reason why that God didn't create all of us grown. 
he allowed the child to develop protected in the mother for a period of nine months called the gestation period. And then the child was placed in the arms of a mother. And then it was placed under the arm of a mother. And then he was kept in the household for a period of time before he became an adult. Why? Because this was God's way of protecting the human race until such a time that the mind was mature enough for spiritual applications to be made. And some of you young people are in drastic spiritual trouble today because with your limited knowledge, and I know what most young people think, they think, I know more than my parents. That's a hunk of baloney. You don't know what you're talking about. That's a bunch of bunk. I thought the thing, same thing when I was your age. And my dad called me in and I thought, man, he didn't even go all the way through high school. You know what you're going to find out. And, and, and a lot of our young people found this out. I mean, I'm talking about our young people who are now 20 and 25. You know what they're now saying? Do you remember the time, Brother Grant, when you and I had that little problem in the office and you set me down and, and you said, I don't care whether you understand or not, it's this way. And you remember how mad I got? Well, I just want you to know that I really love you and I appreciate you making a stand like that. I really do, Brother Grant. You, you, you see, I'd have been in bad trouble. I don't know why I picked up the paper and read Ann Landers. I don't normally read Ann Landers. I'm not saying it's a sin to read Ann Landers. But I'm just saying that so much of the advice and everything. But, but did you read this week when, when this one girl was talking about the strictest parents in the world? Did you read that? Well, she had a little thing about the strictest parents in the world. And she said, now, I've got to tell you that my mother, who was the strictest mother in the world, was the best thing that ever happened to me. Now, in our world today, through the authority the United Nations had the year of the child three years ago and what they were trying to proclaim was that that children have equal rights <clears throat> somebody said you know everybody is created equal who said that that was Abraham Lincoln friend that was not God You may say, well, Brother Grant, but, but the Bible says, in the Lord. 
There is no such thing as male or female, bond or free. No such thing as Jew or Gentile. Now, wait a minute. Now, that's talking about the new birth. That means that God does not differentiate. He, he will give this man the Holy Ghost. He'll give this man the Holy Ghost. He'll give this man the Holy Ghost. He'll give this woman the Holy Ghost. But you know that God draws certain lines for certain individuals. Now, you know that. Equal according to God does not mean equal according to man. That's what Satan wants you to think. The reason why, he said there's neither male nor female, but we have a men's toilet and we have a women's, woman's toilet, and all of you agree with that because you say that, hey, there is a difference. <laughs> this is supposed to be an adult class, by the way. <laughs> Amen? You say, hey, there is a difference. And that's the way it is. And while God looks at every man as being equal from the standpoint of giving the Holy Ghost, He has set up a particular order. His kingdom is well constructed. He has a, a man who is the head of the household. And he has a, a woman who is the head of the children, the keepers of the house and such. Now, this is all God's idea. And I'll tell you one thing. You try to improve on it and you're headed for trouble. Because, you see, when you get a perfect system, you cannot improve on absolute, pure perfection. Because when you try to improve on it, what do you do? When you change that which is absolutely perfect, you spoil it. Now, the Bible speaks of spiritual perfection. And spiritual perfection for us simply means that our sins are washed away by the blood. And that simply means on a daily basis we need to have everything in our life taken care of. And we're constantly changing. But the Bible says, concerning God, in Him there is no variableness, nor shadow of turning, or degree of turning. God is immutable. If God were to change, if God were to change, it would not be for the better. It would be for the worse. Why? Because He is perfect. And when you get there... You dare not move. And when you have a system that is God's and it's God-given, you cannot improve on it. The Jesus method... The God method cannot be improved upon. Now please understand, now whenever I'm making statements like this, that I am in no way speaking down to anybody. And I definitely understand what Abraham Lincoln was saying, and I agree 100%. But you see, the problem is people take that out of context. You follow what I'm saying? 
God's intent from the beginning of time was for all men to be free. And the reason why that the Holy Ghost is such a valuable and precious commodity to men today is because it is the only commodity that offers absolute freedom. For he that has been set free by the Son, as speaking of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, he is what? Free indeed. Well, would you believe that I have one, two, three other points that I need to cover in my message, and I've only covered two. And I've been going almost an hour. That simply means that if I finish this, I've got another hour and a half. <clears throat> Praise God. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll finish it, but we'll wait till tonight. How about that? You want to be, you want to stand at this time? I'll just pick this up and go with it tonight. And the reason why, because I do feel that I have a good number of things I need to say. Isn't God good? Let's lift our hands right now and praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. God, we love you. Lord, we worship you. God, we praise you. God. You're so wonderful, so rich, so real, so mighty, so true. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. Heaven for me. Heaven for me. Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. Let's sing it again. Heaven. For me, oh heaven, for me, Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. All the beauties and wonders I'm longing to see. But Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. Oh, heaven for me. Oh, sweet heaven for me. Jesus will be what makes it heaven. For me, all the beauties and wonders I'm longing to see. But Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. Oh, I love Jesus, don't you? Praise God. Now, I don't know about you. You know, I, I don't know that I could feel better than what I feel right now. I don't know how I could. Now, i got to tell you, I've been working hard the last few days. My son's been building a home. Roy told me, he said, Dad, I'm going to build a home, and I'd like for you to, to help me if you would. And I, I told him, I said, I, uh, yes, I'll help you every chance I get. And uh, my chances have been getting, getting, you know, closer and closer together. <clears throat> I told Roy, I said, son, Dad told you he'd help 
you build your house. The truth of the matter is, I, I didn't say you, you'd help me build. You know? <clears throat> and so last night when I got in the bed, I was groaning and moaning and feeling sorry for myself. And Sister Grant said, what's wrong with you? I said, hon, I'm getting too many miles on me. <clears throat> but I don't know. I got up this morning. The alarm went off and I slept 15 more minutes. And I, I moaned and groaned and I hurt all over. And then all of a sudden I, I just began to feel God. And I began to count my blessings. You know, God's been good to me. And I got to tell you, when I walked in the door this morning, I, I, I got to say this. I don't know how in the world I could feel any better physically or spiritually than what I feel right now. God's been so good to me. And then to know that in view of all of the beautiful things that God has given to me, the most beautiful being, the family of God, the fellowship that I have with brothers and sisters. Praise God. Then to know that, that one of these days, along with you, we can all go into the beautiful presence of the Lord. So there... Sit down with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and people from all kindreds and nations and tongues. Praise God. Pardon the expression, but listen, it's going to be a blast. <laughs> it's going to be great, really. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, I don't want the devil to come by and, and, and use trickery on me or something and, and, and get me thinking wrong. And, and get me corrupt and full of bitterness and, and worldly and, and, and me lose out. Oh, God forbid. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know what? I, I, I'd like to give everybody a chance to just come and pray. But you know what I want to do right now? Every now and then you do something just because it feels good. I just want to turn around to these brothers right here and just hug their neck and shake their hands and tell them how much I love them. Why don't you do that right now, somebody near you? Would you do that? A Bible class that I would finish my Sunday morning message. We went one hour, and we didn't get very far. And uh, I do have a good number of things I'd like to say. I, I don't really like to, to continue something on Sunday morning. I started on Sunday, or Sunday night, that I started on Sunday morning because the introduction to a message the way you start it is a very, very important thing. But I just felt, after spending a good portion of time in prayer this afternoon, that I really did want to finish this, and that we would back up some and cover some of the ground we covered this morning. Of course, it'll be very brief. We will not turn to all the Scriptures and read them like we did. So perhaps we can cover in about eight or ten minutes what we covered in an hour this morning, and then we'll, we'll get started. It, uh, it's early, it's 8.10. If we dismissed right now, some of you would be here uh, at 11 o'clock or 11.30 or so. And I know that to be the fact. I know that to be a fact. Because I'm usually the last one to leave on Sunday night. And usually when I leave, it is Monday morning already. I usually leave after midnight on Sunday.
And the reason why is because people want to talk and and they need uh, advice and such. And well, that's my job, and I enjoy it. And I've told my family, I said, uh, <clears throat> this is part of it, and I enjoy it. And uh, so, uh, you know, you just can't uh, can't really knock a guy who's doing what he likes to do. And so. I stick around here because I need you. You may feel that you need me, but I really do need the fellowship. And I need the uh, closeness that I feel when I'm in your presence. Now, I said that because I might appear in some of my statements tonight. I might appear as if I don't care about you. That just happens that way sometimes. You can read certain scriptures in the Bible in which it almost sounds like that God doesn't care about his children. That's not really true. He does. You can be in a family situation when at times it appears that Father doesn't care about about the family because of the... the, uh, Advice and instruction that he has to give. Uh, if you were a member of our Christian Academy, there'd be a time in which it appears that the staff uh, has little regard for the students. Amen. <laughs> While the students are smiling. But uh, every now and then there comes a time in which a minister has to uh, say what needs to be said. And he has to say it firmly. And he has to make a stand. So when you sit down tonight, buckle your seatbelts. And everybody stay right in here. Now we may have some Walker families, members here, but... We'd like for all the Walker family to remain in the pews tonight. Okay? <clears throat> so all the Walkers stay in here. By the way, our guest, you may not understand that. Well, we don't really have any anybody who has left who has the last name of Walker. It's just some people by habit have picked up that nickname. <clears throat> Okay, let's look at John 18. John 18. (coughs) Pilate, in verse 35, is given an answer. John 18.35, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now 
is my kingdom not from hence. Praise God. You may be seated. We're, we're contrasting the kingdom of Satan with the kingdom of God. Now, <clears throat> in the religious structure of man today, it's pretty hard to tell in many religious areas the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. Because that in many religious circles there appears to be as time goes on a letting down of individual convictions that brings about the terrible consequences of being conformed to the world. Now, the Apostle Paul says in Romans the 12th chapter, verse 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now notice what he said in verse 2. Be not conformed to this world. Now we are seeing at this particular time of the year a visual aid of what Paul was actually talking about. During the fall of the year, the leaves, because of maturity and because of the frost, they, they fall from the trees. As the fall dampness and frost and such fall upon the leaves, the leaves begin to deteriorate, they begin to break down. Then the snows of the wintertime come. Bury them. They are buried there for duration. And when their tenure has been finished and the bright spring sun rests upon them, much of the leaf or the structure of the leaf has already disappeared. It has rotted. It has turned back into the soil from which it came. Where does all of the animal and plant kingdom come from? The Bible tells us that the earth brought forth. Even Adam was created from the dust of the ground. This is the reason why the prophet said, From dust thou came, and to dust thou shalt return. So as a result, we all came out of the ground. Reminds me of a little comic that I read one time. Preacher preaching a funeral, a little boy was sitting on the pew listening and the and the preacher was talking about going back to the dust. He said, you came out of the dust, you go back to the dust. 
And uh, so the little boy was saying his night prayers the night after, and those comments were fresh in his mind. And and uh, while he was praying, his mom and dad were praying with him at the bedside. He happened to run his hand up underneath the bed when he pulled it out. It was dusty. He stopped everybody and said, hold it just a minute. Mother and dad said, what's wrong? He said, look underneath this bed. And so they said, what, what's, what's, what's happening? He said, well, I don't know. He said, but, but somebody's either coming or going. <laughs> but you see, everybody came out and everything came out of the earth. And what Paul is saying is that, that the church came out of the world. Now he said, be not conformed to this world. In other words, don't change back to the thing that you separated yourself from. You've got your own individual life now. You have become a living, heart-beating, pulsating, eternal being. When does eternal life start? Eternal life starts when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now that doesn't mean that we believe in the doctrine of unconditional eternal security. Because even the devil who had eternal life spoiled that particular part and he will live eternally in the lake of fire. And so it is possible for us to, to fall away from the precious gift of the Holy Ghost that, that has been given so freely to us. But we came out of the world. And Paul is saying, don't make that rush back to the world. A season comes and a season goes. Let's be evergreen trees. Let's be trees that are forever bearing fruit. Forever flourishing. That's what I want to be. Now I've noticed this about people. People can come into the church. <clears throat> some can stay six months or so and they kind of wither away. Others can come in and stay for a year or two. Usually after a person makes it through a couple of years, they become solidified in the Lord. Now, that does not mean that anybody that's under two years of age, uh, that is, as far as your spiritual walk is concerned, that you are still in the state of limbo, not knowing what you're going to do. I, I think, for the most part, people make up their minds. But when they get in the church, then things come. There are all kinds of trials and troubles and heartaches that come. Now, this is not only true of people that are in the church, but people who are outside the church. They have their share of heartaches. You know that. In fact, the prevailing circumstances of heartache brought many of you to the house of God. So, when we have a trouble or a trial, we cast our cares then upon Him. Jesus said, Come unto me, all of you that labor and have heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. 
He said, learn of me. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And for the most part, Christianity is just, it's not really considered to be a hard thing. As I have said so many, many times, the only real hard thing about living for God is the hardness that develops sometimes between your two ears. It's called stubbornness, or it's called just being a plain old hardhead. And we sung, I want to do thy will, O Lord. I really want to be in the center of the will of God. Uh, I have made several moves since I have been pastoring. I think I can safely say that I have not spent a lot of time as far as my worry, or maybe I should even say concern about the will of God. See, I just feel that if everybody does every day what he ought to do, then he won't have to worry about tomorrow. Some people, are, they're always worried about six months from now, what am I going to be doing? A year from now, what am I going to be doing? Do today what you need to do. God is under no obligation to show anybody what they're going to be doing ten years from now, what they're going to be doing, if they are not so much concerned about the will of God as to do that will today. God binds Himself with man, not for what He was, nor for what He will be, but for what He is right now. And if you want the the manifold blessings to come and rest upon you, just do the will of God every day. That is so very, very important. Now, Jesus was saying, my kingdom is not of this world. In 1 John, the second chapter, verse 15, the apostle John encouraged us, admonished us, love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. If a man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. James, the fourth chapter, verse 4, James said, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Enmity here is speaking of a wedge of contention that's driven into a relationship. Just as you would take a big maul and a wedge and drive it down through a hard oak block to split it and make firewood, that's exactly what James was talking about. That friendship with the world is a wedge that will sever your relationship or the oneness that you have with God. And, and there's nothing in the world that the devil would like more than to break or bring a gap in your relationship with God. To open up the oneness that you have with the Lord right now. And create a division between you and God. Anytime a person is at odds with the church, he is at odds with God. Anytime a person is at odds with a brother, he is at odds with God. It just works that way. Now, the reason why that I'm calling your attention to this is because, you see, God has a oneness with His church, and the only way that oneness can be uh, possible is for each individual person, each member of the body of Christ, having a oneness with the Lord Himself. For God cannot create a oneness with a physical building the, the church is, is, is not the bricks, it's, it's not the, 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 the mortar, it's not, 
It's not the boards. It's not the shingles. The church is the congregation. It's, it's the flesh and blood of mankind who have harmonized themselves into the will of the Lord. Now, we become born from above. Let's look at John, the first chapter, verse 13. John, the first chapter, verse 13. <coughs> uh, verse 11, we'll start reading that. Jesus was saying, or John was saying concerning Jesus. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Whereas Jesus came to the household of Israel. He was a Jew. But as many as received him... To them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so we were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but we were born of God. Now, Jesus speaks to Nicodemus concerning the new birth in John, the third chapter. And the Holy Ghost that was poured out in Acts, the second chapter of the Bible, this was the first time that the Lord baptized people with the Holy Ghost. And that is when we were born of that Spirit, thus starting the dispensation of the church or the Holy Ghost dispensation. Now, when you were born into the world, you were born into the cosmos or into the kingdom of Satan. Adam and Eve, because of the sin in the Garden of Eden, passed death from one generation to the other. And Jesus, when He came, He came not to condemn man because man was condemned already according to John 3, 17 and 18. Jesus came not to condemn, but Jesus came to bring us life. He said, I come that you might have life, and that you might have life more abundantly. So there are two separate and distinct kingdoms in the world today. There is the kingdom of Satan, who has established who are ordered and established by Satan himself. He is called the prince of the world. He is called the God of the world. We covered these scriptures this morning. He has a particular philosophy or concept in which he operates. Paul in the book of Ephesians calls it the course of this world. Ephesians 2 verse 2. The course of the world is talking about the concept. While it basically is speaking of the end results, that is the broad way in which people walk and many are destroyed, that Jesus spoke of in the Sermon on the Mount. The action or the conduct of people today who live under the powers and influences of the satanic kingdom 
They act the way they act and do the way they do simply because of the concepts of that kingdom. There is a particular philosophy that the devil works under. He has that in mind all time. Now, there is another kingdom that's present in the world, but it's not of the world, and that is the kingdom of God. It's not of the world because the recipients of the baptism of the Holy Ghost receive the Holy Ghost not from man, that is, we didn't get it by virtue of our birth from our parents, nor of blood, it came not by flesh or blood, I am not what I am because that my dad is what he is, I carry my dad's name, my name is Grant because my father's name is Grant. Sitting behind me is a gentleman who carries the name of Crowder. He carries this name because his father's name is Crowder. But there came a time in which this man, known as Grant, and that man known as Crowder, and all of you brothers and sisters, you had to go to Jesus Christ, and there you had to submit yourself. And we received a birth that was not from our flesh and blood, but it came from above. Praise God. And as a result, the recipients of the kingdom, those who are, have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and those who are presently participating in that kingdom, they are not of the world, yet they are in the world. Now, we are in the world as much as anybody else. And there seems to be very little difference in many areas of our lifestyle from the people of the world. Now, I know that there is an acceptable way in which people conduct themselves. There are acceptable dress codes for Christians and such. I can show you that in the Bible. And none of you would dare challenge that. For all Christians should adorn themselves in modest apparel. And you may say, but Brother Grant, modesty sometimes becomes the discretion of the individual who explains it. While that may be true in many areas of modesty, the Bible specifically lays out some guidelines for modesty. So we, we understand that. But yet on the other hand, it is known that for the most part, that our men and women can go over to East Town Shopping Mall and West Town and some of the other places, and we can buy our clothes right out of shops where everybody else buys their clothes. And so the suit that I have on, the tie that I have on, the shirt that I have on, these were all purchased right within a few miles of my home. That simply means then that what I am wearing it is possible to find a man who doesn't even know God that wears the same thing. Also, I get my hair cut at a barber shop. I'm one of the few men who go in there claiming akin to the apostolic faith. 
And so as a result, of course, they cut my hair the way I tell them to cut it. But I am seeing a lot of men who go in there who are getting their hair cut shorter and shorter and shorter. And I say praise God for that. Yeah, I really say praise God for that. So as a result, uh, uh, in, 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 on many occasions where people are required or it's expected of them to dress modestly, uh, you may be in an, an environment in which you don't really stand out as far as your Christian conduct is concerned. Now, this being true, <coughs> you appear to be like everybody else. One lady explained it like this. She said, I drove up to this church. She was, she was describing the church in Wisconsin Dales. One of our churches there, the Emmanuel Apostolic Church. She said, I drove up to this church. I looked around. I didn't know what to expect, she said, because I'd never been there before. The building, the parking lot, everything was neat and trimmed, and it, it just looked so nice. It was so normal. Churches, you expect them to look nice and neat and normal. And I looked around the parking lot and the people drove up and they, they just drove up in average lifestyle cars and such. You know, some were uh, apparently their work vehicles. Others were driving up in their Sunday cars and such. Maybe a man, a lot of farm area there, drive up in a pickup truck and his wife would come in the, the family car and she said, everything just looks so normal. I got out and I shook hands with a few people. She said, well, to make a long story short, she put it like this. I drove up to this perfectly normal church where perfectly normal people were. I stepped out and viewed a perfectly normal situation. I walked inside and behold, there was a perfectly normal church building. I walked in. I sat down. She said a perfectly normal preacher got up. And all of those perfectly normal people stood up. And all of a sudden, their normality dissipated. And I realized that I was in the midst of something that was very exclusive. For it was not normal at all. Praise God. Praise God. And you see, we are all akin to the world by virtue of us being born into this world. But the concept of the system of the world is in direct contrast to the system uh, that God operates under. The basic philosophy of the devil and of the Lord are both explained in one scripture and they are indeed explained very well. In John the 10th chapter verse 10, the Bible says, The thief, now that's speaking of the devil. Do you have any idea why that the devil is called the thief? You don't have to go beyond this particular scripture to find the answer to that. The devil is called the thief because, number one, his philosophy is to steal. I do not know of anything in the Bible <coughs> that you ever read 
that is commendable to an individual who steals. One of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. If you read the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs over and over and over and over, condemnation is placed upon the thief, the man who will go out and take something that belongs to somebody else. So the thief comes to steal. And then he comes to to kill. Now, in the Old Testament, killing individuals was in no way tolerated by God. In the first dispensation of innocence, we do not find any murders taking place. For there were only two individuals, Adam and Eve. They, however, were driven outside of the Garden of Eden. And outside the Garden of Eden, Eve gave birth to a son by the name of Cain. She then had a son. His name was Abel. And you know the story of Cain and Abel and the sacrifices that they brought to God. Cain being very jealous of his brother because he did what was righteous or he did that which was right by offering a blood sacrifice. He rose up in anger and slew his brother. At that time, the Bible tells us that the Lord placed a mark upon Cain. I'm not for sure what that mark was. It might have been an X in the forehead. I don't know. But I do know this, that he must have had a guilty look or something about him, because the Bible says that every place that he went, he was to be a vagabond in the land in which he went. And people would rise up to kill him. Now, the Lord says, but I will not tolerate that. In fact, anybody seeking to kill him, I'll take action against him. And anybody who harms him, I will bring vengeance upon him sevenfold. Now, that was the way the Lord operated in the dispensation of conscience. In the dispensation of conscience, it is very apparent that a man's conscience could not be seared. Therefore, he lived under constant guilt or condemnation. Maybe this was the mark that was placed upon this man. So he went away from his family. Separation occurred as a result of his sin. He lived under this constant condemnation. His conscience was eating him alive every place he went. People saw him and they sought to slay him. The Bible even says that the Lord pronounced a curse to the point that if he planted his seed in the ground, Whatever he planted, whether it be wheat or corn or whatever, that the ground would not even yield back enough seed to replenish that which he had put in the ground. So the Lord struck him not only with a guilty conscience, but with poverty as a result of him killing. Now after that dispensation, we enter into another dispensation, the dispensation of human government, where... That God turned the government over to men. And the law was laid down then by God 
to Noah who received this, that we want you to make it hard on a man who killed somebody. In fact, I want you to go so far as to, if somebody kills somebody, I want you to take their life. Now, the Ten Commandments also state that, Thou shalt not kill. If you go into Exodus 21, then, you will find that it is laid down precisely as to what to do if, in the event, somebody kills somebody. It appears, then, that what the Lord was saying is this. Thou shalt not murder. Murder is a selfish thing. It is done for selfish reasons and selfish motives. Well, I'm not here to defend capital punishment, nor even to explain capital punishment from the standpoint of our dispensation. We must understand that back in the Old Testament, that the God who told Moses and the God who told Noah, if somebody killed somebody else, you take their life, He placed the government in the hands of men. And when they executed somebody who had killed somebody else, they did it from a different motive. And the standpoint in which they did it was a different philosophy altogether. One man killed one because he was jealous and he was selfish. While another man took another man's life simply to cut down on individual rights to the point where people wanted freedom even at the expense of somebody else's life. And so as a result, even when God today has to execute vengeance upon people and His horrible wrath falls upon people, it does not fall upon people because God is a jealous God from the standpoint that He is selfish. If God were selfish, would He continue to replenish the earth with food while people swear and use His name in vain? If God were a selfish God, would He continue to bless the unjust along with the just? If God were a selfish God, would He continue to place His manifold blessings upon people? who do not love Him or care for Him, and in many cases don't even believe in Him. So when God executes vengeance upon people, it's for a different reason altogether. But I can assure you, my friend, that when the thief comes, the devil, his sole purpose and motive is wrapped up and swallowed up in selfishness. The devil would like to see you destroyed. And the reason why he'd like to see you destroyed is because every time he sees a saint fall from that beautiful place of grace in God, and every time he sees some person who has never known the Lord struggle under the heavy load of narcotics, drug addiction, alcohol abuse, and vice, Oh, my friend, to him this is a strike against God. And it's done out of selfish reasons. His concept is to take his own children. Jesus explained that in 
the 8th chapter of the book of John, he said, you are the, of the devil because you do the works of the devil. And you see, the concept of Satan is to get people confused, get them so wrapped up and so swallowed up in, in what they want to do and such that, that they take on his very nature so that they can corrupt and pollute and, and, and so forth and, 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 and cause division among each other. So the thief cometh not but to kill and steal and destroy. Don't you know that on the drawing boards in hell that there is a plan by Satan and all of the devils there to destroy you? He has a very precise plan. And if you can be destroyed, my friend, you will be destroyed. This is the reason why that we have to constantly lean upon the grace and the mercy of the Lord. This is the reason why that we have to constantly gain strength from God. This is the reason why that we have to constantly reevaluate our stand with God. When I say reevaluate, you see, because we're in the world, but not of the world. Because we came out of the world, and we are basically creatures of habit. And because we have not been fully redeemed, because we still wear robes of flesh, mortal robes that are subject to temptation and are subject to destruction, we have to constantly go back to God over and over and over. You see, full redemption will not take place until the trumpet blows and we're changed from mortal to immortal. Now, true at the new birth, we became new creatures. What part of man was really born again? You may say, well, the flesh was born again. While the old man has been planted, the old man is not making reference to the, the robe of, uh, of flesh. It's talking about the old corrupt man that causes the robe of flesh to do that which is wrong. I'm sure when I went down in the tank, that when I came up, I looked exactly like I did when I went down. Now, <clears throat> I do believe that that uh, there, there is a difference in the countenance of an individual. And there is a beauty that begins to shine forth. You know, I like Acts 2.38. You know what Acts 2.38 said? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the mission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I want you to look at Acts 2.28, though. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful passage, of, a beautiful scripture, rather. <clears throat> This is making reference to a statement made by David. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Isn't that something? Now that simply means that God has made known to us the ways of life. And thou shalt make me full of joy. You want happiness? You want peace? You need to have the Prince of Peace living inside of you. That's what happens when you're born of the Spirit. Now, notice what it says. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. And there's something about it when a person goes down in that precious lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they come up out of the water. Friend, their countenance changes. 
Now, while we are still the same people, you know, you know, it, 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 it's like an artist who would take a lump of clay, same old lump, same size, everything, and he just changes around a little bit to make it beautiful. And you see, that's exactly what the Lord has done to His people. Same flesh, same everything, but now He lives inside and His countenance shines forth from us. Praise God. And it shows. Hallelujah. I said shows. Praise God. I've had people after people after people to come to me and say, Pastor Grant, I don't know what it is about your church, but every time I come, everybody's so friendly and everybody's so smiling. Everybody's so happy. I don't know what it is. The, I, I, I just really, I can tell you what it is, my friend. These people have been made full of joy with His countenance. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Well, you see, that's the difference in philosophy between the devil and the Lord. You see, the devil came to do what? To steal. Steal what? Anything he can take from you. Doesn't make any difference what it is. Whatever he can take from you, he will. And to kill. He'll kill conviction. He'll kill all of the virtuous qualities of your life. He'd even like to see you dead in your grave on your way to hell. And destroy. What will he destroy? He destroys family, relationships, you name it. That's, that's the course of the devil. But Jesus said, I am come that you might have life. Praise God. And that you might have it more abundantly. Praise God. Life first. Speaking of eternal life. Secondly, it's not pulsation, but it's an abundant life style. God wants to give to the Christians eternal life. But at the same time, He wants those people to feel when they sit in church, when they visit from home to home, when they work on their jobs, regardless of what they're doing, God wants them to feel this is real living. Praise God. And I can truthfully say, I, I don't know. I just don't know. I made the statement this morning. I said, I don't know how I can feel any better. I feel superbly great. I just, I just feel superb. I, I feel good physically. I feel good spiritually. I just feel good. Now I get tired. I was so tired last night and I was grouchy and grumpy and I made everybody at the house mad and we had company over and so forth and they all felt it and everybody did. So I had to spend half the day today making things right. But uh, <clears throat> that's the way it goes sometimes, you know. But, but I, I got to tell you, I, I just got to tell you, I, I don't know what I could do. Uh, I don't know what God could do to, in, to bring about a greater degree uh, of living for me. I just don't know. Now, the Lord's full of surprises. 
Because you see, every day, he likes to do good things for his people. But the, the two different kingdoms, there, there is a, a distinction in those two kingdoms. Light hath no fellowship with darkness. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And the devil likes to keep people in the dark. You know, if you interviewed a hundred people, and you just asked them, are you living for God? And uh, if, if you picked out a hundred that were not living for God, and you knew they weren't, and th they would admit, no, I'm not living for God. If you asked them, are you living for the devil? They would probably say, well, I don't know about that. And if you asked them, well, do you believe that there is neutral ground that you that you can just kind of live to yourself and, and you don't necessarily have to give yourself to the devil or to the Lord? Listen, I talked to a lot of people and I posed that question to people who did not know if they were saved or not. And most people, in their own minds, I say most people, believe... That's how we got here. It's my choice to be what I am. Now, I know that the Lord chose me. I didn't choose Him. But there was a time when I had to say, Yes, Lord, that's what I want. Ecclesiastes, <clears throat> the preacher of old, Solomon, begins to write. He said, All the rivers run in the sea, yet the sea is never full. And really what he was doing, he goes on to say, The eye is not filled with seeing, neither is the ear filled, filled with hearing. And basically what he's saying here is that, that, you see, the way of Satan just doesn't satisfy. Now that's just it. It just plain doesn't satisfy. If you think it satisfies, listen, there are a whole lot of people that have lived in both kingdoms that can tell you it doesn't satisfy. Some of the generals, some of the lieutenants, some of the majors, some of the corporals, some of the sergeants have stepped out of line, my friend, and changed sides. And some of you young people who are considered to be privates in Satan's kingdom, you think you know all about it? No. You don't know anything about it. You know the reason why? Because you see, <clears throat> he works on his subjects to keep them in darkness. That's just the way it works. See? That's just the way it works. And, and he wants to keep you in darkness. And he will keep you in darkness. And so, you hear one joke, and, and there's something inside that says... Boy, I wish somebody would come tell me one a little worse than that one. And you hear another one, you hear another one. Now we're just talking about old filthy jokes that the world tells. And you know, if you worked on the public, you find out, listen, there's a lot of filth and such that's distributed around. And then, of course, the eyes are not filled with seeing. That simply means you, you look and 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 your eyes are desiring. And every place you look, you know, you see something you like and you keep looking and you keep looking and you keep looking. 
Can you visualize a sinner man coming home from a long day's work and sit down? All of a sudden, his wife, she, she uh, goes to the refrigerator, gets out a can of beer and brings to him. You see, he's tired. He's, you know, he, 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 this, is, this is a lifestyle. That's all he's ever known. And she brings a can of beer in there. It's on a hot summer day, and this is an ice-cold can of beer. She said, "Hun, I, I, here, just, just freshen up a little bit. And he says, nope, don't want it. I had a can last week, and you know, it's so satisfying. You just fill me up. <clears throat> In fact, I smoked my last cigarette yesterday. That thing was so good, I don't think I need another one. See? Just all filled up. Just feel so happy, and, and I think I'll just sit here for a while and just, just enjoy. Just thinking about it. How good that cigarette was and that can of beer was. It does not work that way. See, and that's what he said. You see, the more evil you see, the more you want to see. And the more filth you hear, the more you want to hear. Because, you see, sin was only designed to do one thing. And that is, when you close your eyes at night, it's designed to make you chilly and cold and empty. It was not designed to bring any measurable amount of satisfaction. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Now, <clears throat> we were born from above. Paul says in Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 6, that we sit in heavenly places with Christ. Now, I don't know how you feel, but you see, I have actually been in a heavenly place tonight. I really have. Praise God. To be with my brothers and sisters. And, and uh, you know, Brother Sandon was up here. And I, I called him in the office and talked with him not long ago. And I said, now, Brother Sandon, what I want to do, I want you to start leading some of the song services. Of course, being the humble man that he is, and I, I really mean this. He, he's a very humble man. He said, Brother Grant, anything you want me to do, I don't know if I can do a good job. And I said, I know you can. And I want you to to do this. But to see him up here. I remember when his wife used to call me on the phone and wouldn't tell who she was. And she would ask me all kinds of questions about, about the apostolic faith. And then one day she called and she wanted to meet with us. I came over the church and Brother and Sister Shannon walked in. I don't know if I have ever had ever seen them before. Now, they may have been in church a time or so, but I didn't, I didn't recognize them. I think they told me they'd been in church. Now, Brother Sandin is a hard-working individual. He, <laughs> yeah, he sure is, I know. Brother Sandin will crawl out of bed bright and early in the morning while most of you are still snoring. And if we're praying around the altar tonight, he'll be down here praying. But I remember when I answered the questions that his wife posed that night, Brother Sandon was so tired, he just sat over there, and I, I said to myself, this man is very tired. And I said, Mike, I said, uh, what do you do for a living? He said, well, I drive a Frito-Lay truck. So what time do you have to get up in the morning? He said, uh, I think he said 4.30 or something like that. I don't know what it was. 
And you, you know, to see him up here, praising the Lord and worshiping the Lord, after having his sins washed away, and me knowing what he was, all of a sudden I felt something inside and just... There was a flood of joy. Oh, God, I love you. You're so wonderful. My friend, I climbed to heights in the heavens tonight. Praise God. I sat in heavenly places with the Lord tonight. I felt it there. I felt it there. Oh, God, you're so good, Lord. You're so good. And Brother Felix gets up here and he begins to talk about what some of you were. And my mind went to what I was. Oh, God. Listen, I was, I was a hard one to convince that living for myself and living for the devil was not right. I wanted to be anything, anything, anything but what you people are and what I am now. And I tried everything that I could possibly try. Nothing satisfied. Absolutely nothing. But oh, what a joy that you can find in the kingdom of God. What a joy, what a joy, what a joy. If I'm talking to one soul tonight, listen to me, who has tendencies and urges to go back to the kingdom of darkness. Get your head on straight tonight. Think about how it was, my friend. And then think about how glorious it is to bask in the presence of a God who's given you eternal life. Praise God, praise God, praise God. The Apostle Paul explains it like this in Hebrews. The 6th chapter, verse 5 and 6, or verse 5. He said, we have been made to taste of the powers of the world to come. When you think about the world to come, you think about eternity in the presence of the Lord. A place, a city where all tears shall be wiped away. A place where down... On Main Street, right off Main Street by the River of Life, there is a big tree, and that tree stretches forth its branches throughout the city, and it has leaves, and those leaves are there for the healing of the nations. Praise God. That's simply talking about perfect unity among people of different nationalities. And you and I have been privileged to come into a kingdom of God. And in God's kingdom it doesn't make any difference whether we be Jew or Gentile, bond or free, male or female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Praise God. And that's what He said. That's what Jesus was talking about when He said they shall come from the east and the west and they shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob around the throne. In Revelation 6, the Bible says, they were gathered around the throne, and they sang a new song. These people were from every nation, kindred, and tongue. And 
each other off the face of the earth. God says, I'll put a spirit in you that will make you love everybody regardless of your background. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 It's a place where all differences will dissipate. Praise God. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. Now we have been made to taste of those powers today. People with their little ideas about this and ideas about that. My friend, it's like a cheap movie in the kingdom of God. Praise God. I tell people, and I'm real plain, when people start gossiping and talking about this, that, and the other, and they develop little echelons in the society of the church and little churches within the church, if you like that kind of garbage, go back out in the kingdom of the world, for they are masters at such. But in the church, oh, one of the most glorious things in the kingdom of God is that it doesn't make any difference, my friend. As far as salvation is concerned, God has visited the whole world to pour out the Holy Ghost upon all men. Praise God. And so social backgrounds and cultures and such dissipate in the beautiful presence of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, in the holy city, there won't be any such because it's for the healing of the nations. And then, of course, <coughs> God's going to take away all sickness. Praise God. If you have a chronic sickness, and if in the event you die with that sickness and you don't know God, while I cannot turn to the Scripture and prove this, I highly suspect that whatever you die of or with, it will linger forever. Because when John describes one of the beauties of the Holy City, and he talks about one of the great privileges of serving God. That in that city, all things that were brought to mankind by virtue of the curse of the garden will be taken away. Sorrow, sickness, heartache, for all tears will be wiped away. Praise God. Now I can't find that promise in the other kingdom. Praise God. And if for some reason we have people who have had lingering sicknesses and the ultimate choice of healing is God's, I can say this, and I think I can say it assuredly, that if you will continue with God, my friend, there will be a time in which that will be taken away. 
But if you lurk in the kingdom of darkness and seek satisfaction from within, there's a strong chance that you'll be bound up in your condition forever and ever and ever. Because I cannot find where one time in the Scripture when a man seals his lips in death and enters in the presence of God, if he's not prepared where God shows mercy, for he himself has already made the decision. And if you can prove to me that the grace of God is extended to people who are cast into hell, I'd like to hear your line of reasoning. For my Bible tells me that when the final day of judgment comes and the seal is placed upon each individual's life, it goes like this. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. For this planet is the place in which decisions are made. And if perchance you live in darkness and sadness, and you die in darkness and sadness, and you're cast into the lake of fire, which is your own choice, it's prepared for the devil and his angels. That will be your role forever and ever and ever. I don't think this is mere speculation when I say this. When I was baptized in Jesus' name, I think I can prove by the Scripture that I sent my sins on ahead to be judged. And my sins have been already remitted and cast into hell. That simply means that even the sins of the righteous who have been removed with the blood will torment and plague the unrighteous in hell. Now you think about that for a minute. You see, sin is of the spirit world and cannot be destroyed. This is the reason why that judgment must be pronounced upon it. God doesn't just and do away with sin. It's of the spirit world. It came out of Satan. His blood removes our sins. As far as the east is from the west, our sins go ahead to be judged. And everything that is judged in its finality goes into hell. God could have just destroyed an individual. However, because that there's an element 
in you that's eternal because you are a living soul. The breath of God made you a living soul. And because you took upon iniquity, which is of the spirit world of Satan, there are two reasons why then that even when you are burning in flames, that you will be there forever. Number one, because you have taken something upon yourself that cannot be destroyed. And then you, by virtue of being born of God, a living, pulsating soul, God breathed upon Adam the breath of life, he became a living soul. Then he cannot be destroyed from the standpoint of annihilated. It's called the second death. Somebody says, well, if it's called a death, then why in the world then isn't it final? The same terminology, however, is used concerning a man who is in sin. The Bible says that he is dead. At this present time. Absence of life. Eternal life. And so God then. Because you could not be destroyed. And sin could not be destroyed. God created a place. A prison mind you. A jail. In which it could be locked up. Forever. And ever. And ever. And that place is called hell or the lake of fire. Praise God. So if I have sent my sins on and all the blood wash have sent theirs on to be judged, those sins are still alive in hell today. The spirit of it is there. And if a person then goes into hell, having not been born again, very vulnerable to sin to start with, would he or would he not be plagued forever and ever and ever and tormented day and night? <clears throat> I'm still not going to get to finish this. But I just felt, as we got into this, that this is the particular way in which the Lord wanted me to present this tonight. Listen very carefully now. I want every head bowed right now and every eye closed, nobody violating my request. You think right now, just for a moment. Think just for a moment. If this very night God required of you your soul, would you be saved or would you be lost? Have you been born into the kingdom of God or have you not been? And if you have been, are you living the life that is totally separate from the life of darkness.
as sure as I stand where I stand and preach to you tonight, I believe that God is prompting me to challenge you tonight. For it's not His will that any should perish. He by nature wants you to be happy. He by nature loves you. He by nature wants you to bury your indifferences. Because He knows what happiness means to you. And He knows where happiness comes from. On both sides of the pulpit there is a place for you to come tonight to kneel and pray. The voice of God is speaking in this auditorium right now. With every head bowed, even those of the children. And nobody looking around. With the Holy Spirit knocking softly upon your heart's door. Would you step out and come down to the front and kneel and pray? Oh, hallelujah. Several people are coming already who are just interested in recommitting their life to the Lord. Folks, this is real business. We've just got to be serious about it. God is requesting our undivided attention. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. Many people are praying here already. There's still room right in front of the stairs here or even on the stairs. Why don't you come on now? Come on and give your heart to the Lord. Surrender your life anew into His hands. Give yourself to Him, would you, right now? Oh, praise God. There's still room to pray. Come on right now, would you? Come on right down here in front of the steps. There's a place. If you're a guest here, don't be bashful or intimidated if you want to come and pray. This is not designed to put anybody on the spot. Or embarrass anybody? Why don't you come on if you want to pray? For many of our people are here praying. Oh, hallelujah. Alright, what I'd like to do then, in view of so many people kneeling already, I'd like for everybody then that are back in the pews, if you would, to just turn and kneel in your pew if you can. For some reason you can't. You can just bow your heads right there and pray. But be as sincere and honest with God as you know how to be. And start a real personal relationship with Him. Praise God. Brother Felix, would you come?
heaven for me heaven for me Jesus will be what makes in heaven for me all the beauties and wonders I'm longing to see but Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me heaven for me it will be heaven for me Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me all the beauty Yeah.